This episode of Clinch is brought to you by Missionalware, promoting the reformed lifestyle through apparel, drinkware, accessories, posters, and even now theologian statues. Check them out at www.missionalware.com. There you can pick up everything from Charles Spurgeon journals to Calvinist mugs to Reformation onesies to products from my other two programs. These go to Eleven and the Gut Check Podcast. Check it out at www.missionalware.com. They're going to look for your stuff because you're speaking some language of their soul that they're resonating with. The words were shards of glass carving away her own delusion. Liberty's voice sounds... Uh, I'm a little OCD when it comes to making sure I get my word count uh, completed daily. A thick scream of pain filled the air, and then there was more blood in the water. Trenton took a deep breath and made his move. But really, the heart of Christian fiction is people writing from a Christian worldview. Without thinking twice, we both took off running toward the sound of the trade whistle. And for me, two of them bombed, four of them, they were okay, and two of them absolutely killed it. Right. So you just have to keep writing books and do the best you can. I think that my greatest anxiety is that the first one won't do very well, and and the second one will suffer because of that. The Naya swings the blow that will crush the Egyptian's skull, but the mace, slick with briny seawater, slides out of his grip. His eyes clamp shut. This is Clinch, a podcast of fiction and not fiction. Hey, Clinch listeners. I'm E.C. Farrell. I am a member of the Gut Check Army, an editorial assistant by day, and I'm addicted to writing. For the last two years, I've been in the querying process but I've been writing novels since I was in elementary school. I also waffle between wanting the affirmation of being traditionally published and diving into the indie publishing world. Today I'm going to talk about how Twitter has made me a better writer. You should be writing. It's something most writers see on their social media site of choice from time to time. Whether in meme form or a simple status, They typically scroll across it when they should, in fact, be working on that manuscript, poem, blog post, or limerick. Social media in general can be extremely distracting. We find ourselves endlessly scrolling, chin in hand, without actually absorbing information. Then we look at the clock and find an hour has passed. An hour? How is that even possible? I could have been writing! Or at the very least, pretending to be productive while staring at a blank page and stressing out over the lack of words. Social media can be a total time suck, but it's also helped me grow as a writer. I first really started to engage Twitter when a friend of mine told me about the writing hashtag games. At first, it was just good fun. Every favorite tweet, scant though they were, connected me with other writers and gave me a little hit of dopamine. But it also came with some unexpected consequences. First, Twitter helped me edit and tighten my prose. The first novel I ever shared on social media had been through multiple edits. I studied creative writing in college and thought I knew a thing or two about putting together good prose. But as I started to share, the character limit and hashtags challenged me. With every line, I began to interrogate each word I'd chosen, each bit of punctuation. This tightened what I'd already written and shifted my mindset. And since Twitter doesn't have an edit button, it's important to get it right the first time. 
there's nothing quite like the horror of having that perfect sentence retweeted multiple times, only to discover later a glaring grammatical error. Second, Twitter has helped me practice copywriting and pitching my work. Some of this goes back to the first point. Good copy is all about choosing the right words, but it's also more than that. Agents and editors often throw what they call pitch parties throughout the year. In 280 characters, less with hashtags, writers have the opportunity to convince these literary gatekeepers to request material. Again, you're faced with the task of choosing just the right words to entice just the right agent. This also gave me my first taste of the ups and downs of the traditional publishing industry. Joy at getting attention turned very quickly to despair. My melodrama has leveled out since then, as rejections came. Thankfully, Twitter also introduced me to fellow sufferers. While so much of Twitter is just a bunch of people shouting at each other, the writing community has been a great support for me in my journey to try and publish. Not only did I find encouragement when rejections came in, but I discovered beta readers, critique partners, and editors. Moreover, industry professionals also provide warnings to those who have less experience. Not all agents are created equal, and writers new to the querying trenches have a lot to gain by following those who are well-seasoned. Agents, editors, and published authors alike offer insight into what to be aware of in contracts and what to be wary of in terms of how agents and publishers should communicate. So yes, Twitter can be a massive time suck, but as with everything else, it has a positive side as well. But as we all know, nothing beats getting your butt in the chair and just writing. Hey folks, just wanted to pop in a minute and remind you that this week's episode is brought to you by Missional Way. Listen, I'll tell you something. Ever since Family Christian Stores and then Lifeway Stores closed down all their brick-and-mortar locations, I've been in kind of a low-grade bad mood. Because one of my favorite things to do going back to the 1980s has been to walk around Christian bookstores and browse the merchandise. Sure, a lot of it was corny, but it was also strangely comforting. But my friends, that day is done. And it's a new day in which we can now browse missionalware.com online from the comfort of our own sofas and check out t-shirts, journals, mugs, steins, tumblers, posters, hats, neckties, anything you might want. And the really good news, none of it is corny. Check out missionalware.com today and find your own low-grade bad mood melting away. Marbles. I broke a bag of marbles at my Aunt Jo's house. It's one of those old houses full of dust balls and strange rooms she always told me not to go into, and weird smells and maybe ghosts. The floors used to shine and I could run and slide in my socks, but now Aunt Jo says she doesn't have time to clean them. Aunt Jo's not so shiny anymore either. There's a picture of her next to the granddaddy clock in her living room. She's wearing these big goggles and her curly hair sticking out from underneath a hat. Behind her is this big old plane like the ones you see in old cartoons. Now she dyes her hair blue and walks around in aprons all day. And she's always covered in flour because she makes the best pies ever and she's soft like a marshmallow when she gives me squeezes. In the summer, 
when my mom would drop me off at Aunt Joe's house before work. I'd lie on the front porch in the sun, squishing bugs and burning ants with my magnifying glass. When Aunt Joe caught me, she made me stop. She said, Tommy, those bugs are part of God's creation, and we should take care of them. Leave the poor things alone, sugar. She was always saying stuff like that. I wasn't even supposed to be playing with the marbles. Aunt Joe told me they're special and have more memories tied up in them than I had in my whole head. They made me curious. I guess that's what always gets me into trouble. When my mom drops me off, I see Aunt Joe wobbling around the house locking things up so I can't get into them. I don't mean to break things. It just happens. So I dragged a chair from my room. It's made up for a girl because Aunt Joe always wanted my mama to have a girl. Lacy curtains, pink everywhere, and that fake makeup stuff. Blech. It's the only thing I don't like about staying the night at Aunt Joe's. I took the marbles from the top of her bookcase. She put them there after they fell off the mantle when I slammed the front door. They were all sorts of different colors and had all kinds of funny shapes like cat's eyes and stars and stuff, and they were in one of those netted bags so you could see them. Dust puffed out of the bag and I sneezed, but it made me happy because I could see how shiny they were. They got bigger and then little again. And I stared hard at him. It almost made me go to sleep. I snuck back to my room to look at him, promised myself I'd only be there a minute and wouldn't play with them. But at the top of the stairs, I sneezed again. Quick as you wouldn't believe, the bag tore open. The tiny balls tumbled together down the stairs, past the family picture where I had to wear a tie and a jacket with my hair plastered to my head, past the picture of Aunt Jo when she was my age, wearing a red dress, red as a fire truck, all the way down to the bottom. The old tabby, Mr. Whiskers, jumped and made an awful noise. They just kept rolling towards the living room. Aunt Jo ran in at the sound of the clattering marbles and the hissing cat. She stepped on a big bunch of them, and her fatty legs flew up over her head so the bottom of her flowered dress waved around like a flag. The marbles kept rolling, and I just stood at the top of the stairs staring. And you know what? Those marbles must have been something special because they turned into little bugs. Little flying bugs that really tumbled through the air instead of flying. And I looked down, and Aunt Jo wasn't Aunt Jo anymore, but a big pile of flowers in a blue lake. The tumbling bugs just swarmed around her, bumping past each other and scurrying on toward a forest. I don't know where the forest came from, but it was there. I saw it. It was made of popsicle sticks, like the kind Aunt Jo used to give me when it was a hot day after I got back from playing t-ball across the street. Those little bugs kept tumbling through the air till they weren't in the woods anymore, but a little pink room, like a nursery, full of rag dolls and one of those vanity things with a mirror that girls like to play with. On the floor sat a girl wearing a fire truck red dress and a boy, both about my age. The little bugs tumbled down and turned into marbles again and all jumped into the boy's hands. These are for you, Joe, he said. Like my Aunt Jo, I thought. She scrunched her face up. What do I do with them? 
I can teach you games if you want. Sure. The girl looked up at me. Her lips moved and I heard my name. Can you believe it? How do you think she knew my name? And she kept saying it and saying it until finally I opened my eyes. My Aunt Jo was shaking me by the shoulders trying to wake me up. I was lying on the floor of her room holding the bag of marbles in my hand. Tommy, sweetie, are you all right? You fell off the chair. I looked at Aunt Jo. Then I looked at the marbles. Must have just been a dream. At least, I think it was. After that, she took me to my room and set me on the bed. That little pink bed with the lacy sheets. Tommy, she said to me, these marbles are special because someone special gave them to me. Her eyes got that faraway look that adults get when they're thinking of times they miss. When she looked back at me, she was smiling. You know that smile. The one when they know something you don't. Then she said, Now, Tommy, I'm going to give these to you. She put them in my hand. They were still all dusty, like before, but also kind of bright. I looked up at Aunt Jo and asked, What do I do with them? And Aunt Jo, she smiled and said, Whatever you want, honey. Then I squinted down at them and saw them tumble like bugs, and I forgot that my room in Aunt Jo's house was pink and that her hair was dyed blue and that her legs were fat because finally I was holding the marbles. And they were special, just like she said. Clinch, a podcast of fiction and not fiction, is a Cardiff Giant production. Copyright 2019, Zachary Bartles. Produced in partnership with KD Enterprises. Theme music composed and performed by Bill Cullen. The text of Marbles, a short story. Copyright 2018, E.C. Farrell. Special thanks to WAC Productions, www.wacfilm.com. For more information on E.C. Farrell and her writing, you can follow her on Twitter at author E.C. Farrell or on her website, www.ecfarrell.net. If you'd like to connect with me on social media or learn more about my books or the several podcasts I host and co-host, you'll find me at www.zacharybartles.com. Thanks for listening.